Hello, and welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, joined as always by my co-host, David Roberts. Permission to Be exists to be a space of hope for those journeying to find their true, authentic selves. We hope that the story shared here will inspire you on your own journey and help you unlock the permission to be who you have always truly been. Today, we are so excited to have with us Jonathan Williams. He is not only the lead pastor of Forefront Church in Brooklyn, um, but he also recently um, released a book entitled She's My Dad, A Father's Transition and a Son's Redemption. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's my privilege. Now, Jonathan, uh, we want to talk about the book. We want to talk about Forefront a bit and really, you know, a lot about the story that the book captures, but we always kick things off with a bit lighter of a question, or at least it's intended to be lighter. Um, And the premise of that question is that inevitably, whether it's through the book or through your work at Forefront, on some level, your platform, you know, God willing, explodes, gets huge, you know, you kind of become this very humble and generous with your finances, uh, progressive, you know, celebrity pastor and, <laughs> and Hollywood, of course, you know, the capitalist machine that is Hollywood buys your life rights and begins to make, she's my dad, the movie. And when that happens, and I realize technically that movie is sort of already being made. And so you actually might have a, <laughs> an answer to this, but, um, if you, they actually gave you a say, who would you cast as Jonathan Williams? You know, I think I would pick. Um, I think I would pick Matt Damon. That's what I'd pick. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I used to. Um, I used to live uh, six or seven blocks away from Matt Damon, and there was one time I was in the park with my kids, and I look, I'm like, "Who's that? Like, really jacked, <laughs> good-looking dude?" <laughs> And it was Matt Damon walking in with his kids. That's who it was. Excellent. And uh, yeah, so if I could be jacked and good looking, that's why I wanted to play me. There you go. <laughs> nice. I mean, what, what else do you need? There you yeah. go. <laughs> All right. Right, is, exactly. Is there any shot at I, I know we can make mention of, of, of the movie that's being made about, about Paula's journey, which is, of course, relevant to the book. But are, are you in the movie? Do you get, are they actually casting for you? Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not in it, but I guess I. I guess there's some conversations. No <laughs> I, I honestly don't know, so I probably shouldn't answer. <laughs> but but I I think there are conversations where the movie's going to be much uh, or revolve yeah. around around the book. My dad and myself. Yeah, Paul's pretty excited about it. It was funny. Like uh, I guess I just got a phone call from her one day, and and uh, she was like, "Yeah, I I, I just signed uh, some some my rights away to, to do this movie," and I was like, "Okay." And then she called me like three weeks later. She's like, "It looks like they want to do a movie." basically about the book i'm not sure what to tell you <laughs> i was like all right i mean just just keep me in the loop i guess you know we'll figure it out yeah but um yeah so i i just let paula give me all the info on it so jonathan tell us a little bit about your journey into this um progressive post-evangelical world if you would um our, you know, our podcast is um, entitled Permission to Be, and we're sharing stories about how we found authenticity or if someone gave us or authenticity um, or gave us that permission to find that authenticity. Can you share share with us a little bit about um, how your journey started? So, yeah, I grew up in the church, and um, both my grand, uh, both my grandfathers were pastors. My dad's a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uncles, and each one of them at some point in their life has, has been a pastor. 
So really, it's the family business for me. And I grew yeah. up in it. Um, and, and really, I think, I don't know, I, I guess I started questioning the whole concept of Christianity, at least the way I knew it, which was white evangelical America. Um, mm-hmm. I started questioning that early and uh, went to went to a Christian school and, and kind of openly rebelled against the whole thing and was kicked yeah. out and, and at that point left church altogether. So mm. that was that was something that I did. I think um, I think in the meantime, my dad, who was still incredibly tied into the church, you know, going through his own his own life experience, but also questioning, I think, the religion that he grew up with as well. And so uh, I think what began the at least the conversation or, or, or coming back around to Christianity were those conversations with my dad about, well, it doesn't have to be like white evangelical America has made Christianity out to be. It can be um, something very different, more progressive. Um, it doesn't have to be so hard and fast. And then I ended up going to uh, a grad school mm. that taught liberation theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so James mm. Cone, um, that kind of theology. And, uh, and that opened my eyes to everything Christianity could be. Yeah. Mm. At that point, I, 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 um, I was probably gone from church for about six, seven years. And then I started dating a woman who had later become my wife. And she was like, if you want to date me, you have to go to church. I was like, fine. So <clears throat> I went back and that's right around the time I went to the school, Liberation Theology. And I was like, oh, wow, um, this is meaningful again. Um, it's not about hmm. you know morals and platitudes and do these six things and you get it right and do these four things and you get it wrong. It's, it's about freedom. It's about literal good news. And yeah, that changed me. That changed, changed the way I, I thought about my faith. How was that coming back into the church scene? I mean, I, I hear you say it changed you, but I know a lot of people who might use the term deconstructed right now and who have walked away from the church. Um, going back into the church scene, even with a um, more liberal, more freeing theology, I feel like a lot of people get stuck um, in just the anxiety that their past, that they bring with them. And so it sounds um, like it was maybe an easier transition for you. I'm curious. I don't know. I'm just curious about that transition. Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know how, I don't think it was easy. I think it was redefined. Uh, mm, yeah, okay. I, I think, I think it, I wasn't going back as much as I was going to do something different. Um, I think that's gotcha. probably what it felt like for me. Mm. And so a lot of times, you know, especially in my deconstruction period, people would say, well, I don't believe in a God who would send these people to hell, or I don't believe in a God who, you know, condones violence in the way that it says in the Bible. And Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in a God who would, you know, not affirm gay people or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And I would always say, yeah, and I would yeah. always say, I don't believe in that God either. You know, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think, I think my transition back to the church was more of a move forward out of really sure. what I felt like was one religion and into something completely new. Um, so that mm-hmm. made it a little bit easier, I guess. Yeah. No, that that yeah. makes sense. And where in the timeline? So, so you haven't at this point in in your kind of development. Um, you know, with, with seminary and with coming back into church and kind of going through this process, uh, you haven't planted a church yet, right? At this point? Oh, no, or? no. I was a fifth, I was a fifth grade teacher. Okay. I did. Yeah. I did that for seven years. So, so where did the family business kind of rotate back into the equation? You know, I think, I think friends of my family, uh, knew that I'd found a, a new meaningful gospel hmm. and so they, they were like, Hey, you know, are you interested in coming back into this? And at that point, my wife and I were looking to uh, to move, and I wanted to move back to New York. 
Mm. I grew up in New York. And so this gave me an opportunity to do that. So we started one church and we were associate pastors at this church and it didn't last very long, but uh, I got an incredible education from the lead pastor there at that church. Um, yeah, someone who mentored me and became a great friend. So it was, mm. it was definitely for its reasons. And then uh, about 18 months after we moved to New York, uh, I started Forefront Brooklyn. How old is Forefront Brooklyn? How long have you been pastor there? We've, uh, we've, how, how old are, we'll be seven this September. So okay. we're six and a half, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been quite the journey. Yeah. There's been a lot of, a lot of failure along the way, but at our sixth, our six year anniversary, I remember, you know, kind of breathing it all in and going, okay, I think we've gotten to a place where I'm mm-hmm. really satisfied and really happy with where, where we are as a church. So, so that was a good thing. So I still feel that way. Yeah. This, this whole year has been a good one. Okay. Oh, good. That's awesome. All right. So you've got, you go through this journey, you plant forefront. At what point do the main kind of contours of the events described in She's My Dad, where does that meteorite <laughs> crash in to everything? <laughs> yeah. I mean, right away. So you know, we start the church and three months later, my dad calls. Um, and, and I don't know if anybody out there started a church before. You are working your butt off 80 <laughs> hours a week. You're meeting with everybody. You're exhausted. You know, it, it's it's all consuming. And my dad's like, I'm going to fly to New York to give you some news. And, oh um, and so, yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, I guess it's going to be terrible. And I don't know if I have any capacity for anything else in my life. And, uh, and then, yeah, so my dad flew in and, and told me she was transitioning. Um, yeah, transitioning to the female gender. And so whether or not I had capacity for it in my life, I, I still had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, I mean, it was brand new. Uh, this is, you know, before I think the idea of, of gender transitioning really came into the, the mainstream, you know, before mm-hmm. Caitlyn Jenner, Orange is the New Black, Transparent. We're still a couple of years before that. And so, you know, like any straight, privileged white man, you 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 don't really pay attention to the things other people are going through. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, so I, yeah. It forced me to pay attention to, um, to not only my dad but to an entire population of people. Yeah. Mm. And so, so what did that? Um, okay, so so this happens. How how old is Forefront at this point? Has it, have you even launched yet? Are you? Yeah, yeah. So we're three months old. So I'm like, you know. Uh, and it's 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 going well, you know. Forefront's going all right. Uh, so my dad tells me this, and immediately, you know, the stages of grief are real. And for me, I felt I feel like they were textbooks. So it's all denial, right? It's like, no, this is not happening to you. It's something else completely. Um, and then anger and depression quickly followed. And so mm-hmm. it was brutal. It was a brutal time to to try to start a church. I think I went from, if you ask my staff at the time, I feel like I went from you know, gung ho and excited, uh, tons of energy just to like being floored. And so mm. the issue was that my dad was still preaching. My dad was still, uh, in the church world. And so at the time he was like, um, he's like, yeah, you can't, you can't tell anybody I need to keep this job for a little mm-hmm. while longer. So mm. I'm, I'm holding the secret. I can't tell anybody. Oh. Church. Oh. I'm meeting with people over and over and over again. I'm like super upset because, you know, my dad is, you know, my best friend and I didn't see this coming at all. Didn't expect it. So, so yeah, it, it, uh, things spiraled quickly for me anyway, where we're literally just to get out of bed in the morning felt like a win. I just had nothing. So, 
Yeah. I tell the story often. Uh, I, I would, I would cry upstairs, uh, in this green room we have in our rented space, uh, before church. And then I would just come downstairs and put on a brave face and smile and preach and do everything I needed to do. And yeah, I was just hiding a lot, keeping a lot. It was was exhausting for sure. I was going to say that has to just wear on your soul. Yeah. I feel like I aged a ton in that time. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah. And I think, I think the tricky part of, of, of it all was we were associated with the church planning group that was not an LGBT affirming group. And so my biggest fear was that this comes out and not only is it in this place where we're brand new as a church and not only are we trying to get started, but we have all this money coming from Mm -hmm. more conservative, I guess, churches. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, if this comes out and then I support my dad and say that I'm not going to, you know, go against her, I'm going to lose funding and this church isn't even going to get off the ground. And, And so what do I do about that? And, and that in itself became another question or another issue or uh, something else that, that weighed heavily. So, so yeah, it was coming from all directions. Sure. Now, now the, the next question inevitably is, is what happened? And, and but then I realized it's a complicated question because you could answer that question as far as what happened with Forefront, what happened on the level of the church. But then there's also the element of what happened with 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 Paula, with your relationship with your dad, um, uh, which obviously is, is part of what you recount in the book, but it, it feels maybe too cut and dry to say like what was the turning point, so to speak. But 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 um, but if you can kind of even oversimplify into those turns, like you, you know, at this stage in the narrative, you're you're spiraling, you're kind of holding on um, on a personal, like on an existential level, and then there's all these concerns about the sustainability of the church. Where was the pivot? What was the? I mean, there were a couple different pivots uh, in the book, and I'm not going to recount the story here, so you should buy the book. But in the, in the book, I talk <laughs> about a baseball game uh, that felt like Holy Spiritish. It was, it was kind of mm-hmm. hot, um, but but that that was sort of an impetus for me to to meet my my dad as a woman for the first mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, uh, my dad ceased to be he, and and you know I accepted her as Paula as she. And, uh, and so that changed. And then, I, you know, it was hard. I mean, the, the, it's, it's hard to you know, have somebody who for 30 plus years of your life is, is one person, is one entity, yeah. is one gender, whatever. And then they change completely. And yet they're no. still there. So, yeah. so, so I, think, I think after meeting her, there was a lot of time to process that. You know, oh my mm. gosh, this is, this is a person who I don't know. I, I, mm. I, I don't know them at all. And yet they know me completely. And... I still call them dad, and yet I, I know nothing about mm-hmm. them. They're a stranger. Um, it's it's a, it's a surreal experience to go through. So after that, I, I finally yeah. got to a place where we met again. This is after this is the second time being with her, and I remember just feeling sort of this pull between you know the old kind of world that she came from that I was still living in, and, mm-hmm. and this pull just to not only affirm her, but to affirm anyone whose, whose life is at stake because of their identity um, as hers was, you know? And so I remember saying, you know, dad, how do you, you know, can you extend an olive branch? Cause I still live and work in this, you know, this more conservative world. And then she, she just said, do you have any idea what it feels like to, to, 
tell your friends and talk to them about your true self and have them completely reject you in 24 hours. And when she said that, I, I was blown away. I was like, no, I have no idea what that feels like. And there was a sense that, that our relationship would just take time. It was always going to take time. Uh, and it still takes time. It's still not what it was before. But at that point, I think I affirmed who she was. And not only that, but like I just said, affirmed everyone who identifies in, in the way that my dad identifies or identifies as mm-hmm. LGBTQIA in any capacity, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. that, that felt like, uh, it felt like, yeah, I crossed the line and that was it. And, and so now I was going to cut myself off or I was going to slowly cut myself off from, from my old, um, yeah. cons- more conservative past, I guess. Did you see that happen? I mean, I know Paula shared with us, you know, about a pretty swift fallout um, once she shared who she really was. Um, and what did that look like on your end? Yeah, it wasn't swift, I don't think. I think, I think, pe- I think people genuinely felt uh, empathetic. I mm-hmm. think they were like, yeah, we see the position you're in. And mm-hmm. yeah, we understand that you, you have a choice that you have to make. And while I don't agree with the choice that you're making, I, we get it. And mm-hmm. so uh, best of luck and we hope it all works out well. And obviously we can't give you money any longer, but you know, we, we, we just, we want you to be well. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of the tone or the vibe. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't have any resentment or anything. I, I think Paula does for, for good reason. Um, but for me, I think it was more, yeah, this is what I expected. I made a choice and I expected this outcome. Yeah. And so I wouldn't, why, I'm not surprised by it. It's, sure. It is what it is. Now, obviously, you know, um, we don't want to give away the whole book here because we want, you know, you know, I want people to buy the book or at the very least uh, having a, you know, you know, we'll mention, we'll mention this later at the end, but, yeah. but, but you and Paula also did a, a Ted talk together recently, which if someone's wanting a little bit more, kind of get a little more idea of where this yeah. book is going before maybe diving in and, and hopping on uh, the Jeff Bezos machine and, and buying it, um, you can listen to that Ted talk, but, but, but talk to us about the process of, of writing it because it's one thing to experience the story in real time and to process the consequences and the implications of everything that kind of goes into it and happens, but then to actually turn mm-hmm. around and, and, and have to be self-reflexive enough to, to write it and to, to, and to recount it and then to share it publicly with, with the world. What is, what was that like? Writing, it felt like, I don't know, it felt like three years of therapy in six months. <laughs> That's what it, what it felt like. I I, uh, I have really good friends who allowed me to get away. So m- uh, much of the writing happened at this cabin up in upstate New York. And um, so it was this space where I was by myself and, and just had a lot of time to think about how things felt. I, I remember writing at one point... Um, I, yeah, I, I think I think I had said uh, in my mind anyway. I had said, "Well, I, my dad died, and my dad's mm-hmm. no longer, and and now I just have Paula." And then, mm-hmm. as I was writing, it was sort of like these epiphanies kept coming to me, where I was like, "No, my my dad didn't die. Like my my dad was this willful, conscious choice, and that felt mm-hmm. new and fresh and like sort of redeeming mm-hmm. to me. Like my That's dad awesome. had to actually choose to be my dad." Yeah. Um, and so, and so, it, you know, that choice happened and, and that choice can't die. So, mm-hmm. so, so there was really important things that happened. I think, I think a couple of things about, about the book itself, I think putting it out to the world mm-hmm. um, was way harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I thought it would be hard for, for the, the reason that, um, you know, it, we, we have this narrative that gets talked about all the time. The narrative is, is so long as it's beneficial to us as society, it's a good thing. 
If it costs us anything, mm-hmm. we don't want the narrative. And I think on the larger scale, outside of church, the stories of, of people who transition are stories of courage mm-hmm. and stories of uh, bravo, good for them, and, and they're exactly who they're, they're meant to be. And so just like I thought, most of my pushback has not been from the conservative church world. It's been mm-hmm. from that world. It's like, how dare you question your father's transitioning? How dare you get upset about it? How dare you feel this way? Like, wah, 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 you're whining. And so that like is funny that, that that's been most of the, the backlash mm-hmm. has been from that, that sort of uh, fundamental mm-hmm. left. That's like, how dare you, how dare you feel bad about this? Um, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's been interesting for me. Um, and really it's, it's funny yeah. because the conservative right for the most part has been pretty quiet about the whole thing. So, yeah, so that's, that's been an interesting, uh, and unexpected thing I'm dealing with, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, I just, I just got back from an event like, you know, 45 minutes before I, I talked with you guys and it was an event where, uh, this, this photographer did a bunch of, did a shoot of my father and I, and he was presenting it at this, I don't know, something at this gallery and he was explaining each photo. And, and when they got to our photo, like, uh, he said something like, you know, Jonathan wrote a book about this and obviously he found Paula's transition very difficult. And, and when that was said, there was an audible like groan in the audience. <laughs> like this audible, mm-hmm. like, uh, like, of course, you, this pastor would find his dad's thing really difficult. That's what all pastors are like. And it's like, oh, yeah. I wish I had a few more pages to explain. <laughs> but uh, I mean, of course, I've never been in your shoes, but I just feel like there's also, we have to see the humanity in each situation. And of course, evangelical pastors unfortunately in this country right now have a sign on their head that's not really pretty um and there's an assumption made and i feel like that assumption is is that it takes away all view of humanity of that person stamped as a pastor Um, (laughs) i think yeah i I think it's probably true of of every pastor who's ever existed yet right (laughs) so so that's a good piggyback point then so um you know, so kind of with the backdrop of, of, of the book, with of Paula's transition, of, of your own evolution and kind of development, um, kind of both before and during and through this experience, you know, you're now the pastor of a, you know, a seven and a half year old church that is growing and, and, and thriving, at least by some metrics and things like that. So, so where do you see this, this movement going? I don't even know, you, you know, um, you know, there's terms thrown around like post-evangelical, ex-evangelical, um, progressive evangelical, kind of this this space that is maybe open and affirming to the LGBTQ community, uh, distinctly Christian in some respect, in some sense, but not mainline, not not part of one of the mainline denominations, you know, maybe more aesthetically or liturgically, you know, like what people might think of as a non-denominational evangelical church. So, so our church watershed, Beck and Mind's church kind of occupies that space. Forefront occupies that space. We are kind of in network uh, in some loose capacity with other churches occupying that space. So from your perspective, where do you see that space going? Are you optimistic? What challenges do you see? Is it, is it, where's this whole thing going? Yeah, I'm pretty optimistic, which I know that even in our, in the spaces that we hold, there, there's a, it runs the gamut, right? From people who are like, mm-hmm. yeah, the church is the hope of the future to people who are like, no, the church is going to die. Yeah. And I, I, you know, you'll have to excuse my dime store yeah. theological history, but like, I honestly think, and I, I honestly believe this. I think that we're like on the precipice of like, for lack of a better way of, of for lack of a better parallel, I think, sure. I think we're like the next Martin Luther's, like in the sense that we're, we're ushering 
Christianity into like the next mm. iteration of what it's going to be. Like I really believe that. And yeah, I think that's a really good thing. So when I think about the church dying right now, um, and I think about the rise mm. of the nuns, like that sort of gets me excited. It's it's like, yeah, I am I'm one of the nuns in yep. the sense that I don't believe in that God either. Yeah. You know, I said that yeah. earlier, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think we're we're getting ready to, you know, the idea of being progressive is incredibly good news. You don't have a God who couldn't stand you, needs the blood of God's yep. son to to make it better, right? Right. You, you, you have a God who's showing us that, that mm. God's always loved us. That's that's a good news God. Yep. Um, you know, no longer is it, well, I'm going to believe uh, the Bible this way, and if I don't, yeah. uh, I'm going to go to hell. No, that's mm-hmm. terrible, right? That's a small, small God. Um, a God who, who, you know, if you interpret, you know, a library that's a few mm. thousand years old wrong, it's going to send you to hell. That's terrible. It's bad news. But when we talk about like, no, this is, this is wisdom. This is, this is, uh, this is to be interpreted by everybody at their time and place. Again, that becomes yeah. good news in another iteration of why this matters still. Mm. Um, and then I always say this, you know, if someone said to me tomorrow that the death and resurrection never happened and that Jesus was just some guy. Um, I love the death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. I believe in it. I choose to believe in it is what I, what I always say to my yeah. people. Um, but if that was the case, I'd still say yeah, that's fine. And we'll still have this church because the life of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the incarnation of God is just so powerful and so beautiful yes. that I believe we can model ourselves that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing so, yeah, bring, bring about the really good news, mm-hmm. um, the restoration of what God intends for this world. And so, I tell our community all the time, we're so loved. Um, we're so affirmed uh, in, in the way we are that God says, go out and, and mm-hmm. do what Jesus does. You know, uh, bring the peace that I intended to this place. And it's happening. It's happening slowly but surely. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that we get to be a part of it. So, yeah. So, I feel optimistic. Absolutely. Yeah. So, when I try to frame, for example, what Watershed's doing, kind of occupying a similar space as Forefront to people, and I try to put it in, uh, sometimes I put it in like uh, missiological or mission terms, um, uh, especially because yeah. I'm, I'm in seminary classes mm-hmm. and a lot of my peers and cohort uh, partners are, are, are people who are um, not necessarily maybe in a church space, but might be in an overseas mission space or they're international students and things like that. And so, I often frame it as um, like in the Muslim world, uh, in, in kind of Christian missions to the Muslim world, especially those that are trying very hard to not be colonialistic or imperialistic in their in their posture and practice. Uh, there's this idea called uh, insider movements, where um, you know where where an Islamic person who is dogmatically, religiously, culturally Islamic can have a genuine transformative encounter experience with Christ, and yet remain. Islamic, you know, like they, they maintain their yeah. Islamic mm-hmm. identity and yet, and, and yet they still meet Christ in some true saving way. And I've tried to explain to people, like, I feel like sometimes what we're doing is we are an insider movement for nuns and duns or for post-Christian people. And there are instances where I believe, and I, and I try, and I say this cautiously because I don't want to like, I don't want to like appropriate someone's experience and kind of say, you might not, you know, claim Jesus, but that was Jesus, you know. You know, so I want to be cautious about that. And yet, and yet, I see these people in our community who, who are having experiences that look pretty dang Christian to me in a completely, almost retranslated, mm-hmm. redefined, secular, even sort of experience or encounter. Um, and, and and for whatever reason, good or bad, there there's a discomfort in naming it as Christian, but the experience is real and it's happening in this community. And 
and and so th- and that energizes me the fact that y- y- you know that um you know, you know. So even if the label is different or the, the the lens is different, there is still this energy, this encounter around things that at least take the shape of what I think the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus represents. That that sort of cruciform, place you outside of yourself. You know, you, you know, kind of place you in this posture of solidarity with the other. Um, that's happening. Yeah, I, I I really love what you're saying, and I think I think it's. Um... That's exciting to me too. And it's exciting because I think when we talk about experiencing Christ or experiencing the Holy Spirit or whatever, another thing that that kind of that old evangelical mm-hmm. way has done is it, it's limited that experience. Mm-hmm. You know, that ex- that yeah. experience can happen in, in a few ways. And, and most of the time it happens when you pray Jesus into your heart or when you're baptized or it happens when you're doing this in church or mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, it happens when you're holding hands in a prayer circle. I don't know. I'm making stuff up at this point. Um, but you know, and, and, child. yeah. And then the other thing is, we have to take in the the cultural and the ethnic ways that we look at Christianity. So not only can it only happen in a few ways, but it usually only happens in white Western ways. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't yeah. happen in other in other ethnicities or in other traditions. Um, in fact, yeah. other traditions and cultures are are iconic. We should stay away from that, right? Right. Um, but yeah, but what we're saying, and I think um, what you're saying, Dave, is like. No, I mean this. This happens in in a myriad of ways. Mm-hmm. In fact, ways that at this point we're still not able to comprehend because of our experience, and and what we're doing as churches or what we're doing as communities of faith are, are opening up others, other eyes, and our eyes to um, to those ways that the Spirit is at work or the way God is at work. It's exciting. Precisely, yeah. The biblical, because you know, oftentimes the people who I'm who I'm talking to, they're like, "Well, where's that in the Bible?" And 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 so fine, whatever. I'll speak your language. And so so so, but but but. I, I see it in the Bible. I see, I see uh, in Pentecost, for example, Book of Acts, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit comes down, and, and this is a minor distinction that you read right over. But I think it's really key that when this Holy Spirit comes down, the people who are hearing the Apostle Peter's proclamation of the gospel, it's not that it was trans. It's not that they're un- suddenly they were able to understand Aramaic or whatever language he was speaking. Mm-hmm. They heard the message in their native tongue. And so there's this idea that that the the, the good news is is infinitely translatable, and it, and and we shouldn't expect someone to have to conform to to your point to our culture, to our language, to our experience, our articulation of, of of the divine or of God or of Christ, in order to have a genuine encounter with God, the divine, or Christ. And si- similarly, you know, you know, in Matthew 25, you, you, you know, the people who Jesus names as Christians. Didn't even realize it. They didn't even recognize it. You know, it was yeah, like, so, yeah. so, so not, o- not only is there this sense of kind of translation, you, you know, wherein God is experienced in the native experience or the native tongue of, of, of someone else um, without any sort of appropriation or, or anything like that. But there's also this sense when on some level this can happen unconsciously, like, like without even realizing it. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, again, I think it happens in a, in a number of ways. I mean, mm-hmm. Acts 10 for me is the big one. The sheet comes from heaven and, and there's all this stuff Peter can't eat. And Peter's like, God, I can't eat this. And God says, don't call the thing, don't call things mm-hmm. unclean that I'm calling clean, which mm-hmm. is, you know, which is basically God coming down and saying, break, break all the rules and, and stop doing the things that you've mm-hmm. always known to be right. Do things that you now think are wrong. And it's like, what, you know, that would, that would just blow my mind if, if, if I had that experience. And that's what God's saying. God's basically saying for thousands of years, this thing worked. This is a way you experienced me. And I'm telling you that now this thing gets in mm-hmm. the way of you experiencing me. 
So get rid of it and open yourselves up to more. And so I think what we're, what we're constantly doing is saying, what's getting in the way of us experiencing God in new ways? Uh, let's get rid of it and open ourselves up to more, which, you know, for our churches, we're not affirming LGBTQIA people, uh, you know, when we're not fighting racism, when, mm-hmm. when we're not uh, being missional, you know, those are mm-hmm. the things getting in the way of what God is up to. So, yeah, so it's, it's continually looking for those sheets falling from heaven. Yeah, well said. Mm. So this has hopefully been encouraging, this, this little segment for anyone who's kind of occupying this space, whether professionally or, or, or personally, and then kind of saying, hey, is this, mm-hmm. is this thing that I'm part of sustainable? Um, so with that all said, like, like do you, what, what obstacles do you see? What, what, what are the things that could derail this or, or, or in your experience kind of leading mm-hmm. you know, one corner of this movement or one facet of this movement? Um, what challenges do you see on the near or immediate future? Wow, I've never been asked that before. Yes, I mean, I, I, de- I definitely think that that the idea church, I don't know, it's it's a patriarchal structure, at least in the world that I come from. Yes, and and to have like sort of this mostly male head of the church most mm-hmm. of the time, and then a bunch of other people. Uh, that's 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 going to be an obstacle that that needs to end. So that that's something that'll need to die, and when that dies, um, you know, I, th- I think we'll have a, a, a flat leadership. Or, or, you know, um, God willing, <laughs> tons more women who become leaders. But I think the patriarchy piece needs to die. Um, so that's an obstacle. I think I think as long as we're in America, we're always going to have a white Western viewpoint that also needs to die. Yeah. And that's going to, yeah. that's going to be an obstacle too, um, especially for white guys like me with tons of privilege and lots of blind spots. Mm. So let's go back to that patriarchal comment, being yeah. the female amongst us. So – I mean, that's in our history. That's been around for, I mean, good gravy to the hunters and gatherers. But as far as Western culture and Western America, and we have churches that are rising out of the ex-evangelical movement and being progressive. Do you feel like that is going to take a lot of time? Or do you feel like that that's something that needs to be pushed into a little bit harder and a little faster. Does that question make sense? Yeah, I think uh, I think harder and faster. I I don't know. I mean, in these little circles that we that we inhabit, we have Launchpad, which is mm-hmm. a church planning organization working to to create more progressive, affirming churches. Mm-hmm. And and so I think about something like Launchpad, which wants to get going like ASAP. You know, yeah. and I think yeah. about the fact that like you know we can actively seek out. Um, uh, women leaders uh, to lead those churches and, and at the very least have flat leadership models like left-hand church that Paul is a mm-hmm. part of where mm-hmm. you have two women and, and a man on staff and they all have equal equal say. So I'd like to see it happen quickly. And I think, I think there are some pieces in place for it to happen quickly. Um, and let's just be honest, and I'm sorry to any mainlanders out there, I, I truly love you. Um, the fact that we don't live under a denomination helps us. We can, mm-hmm. we can be more nimble in that sense. Yeah. What do you see? Um, this is kind of more of a, a personal curiosity, um, less theological necessarily, but I suppose it's in there a little bit. Um, one thing that we've thought about at Watershed or, or, or wrestled with is the fact that, you know, with, with the advent of technology, internet, digital spaces, I mean, y- y- you know, if you know, look at a, a, maybe a kind of progressive spiritual group, like, like, uh, the group formed around the Liturgist podcast, for example, and there's thousands of people on this unofficial Facebook group. It's it's almost a mega mm-hmm. church in and of itself, and 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 you know something like that. Like, do you still have confidence or hope in the 
form of the church, not the theology necessarily or anything, but like, you know, the, you know, the, the gather on a Sunday or another day, but usually a Sunday, you know, do the, do a couple songs, do a sermon, a message, a talk of some sort, you know, encourage things like small groups or whatever the progressive version of missions and outreach is, you know, um, where does the institutional form um, or shape of of the church fit in kind of this evolving world is it a is it do you think it'll become an either or is it a both and and regardless of your answer on that um what is the or and what is the and of what that could evolve into (laughs) (laughs) that's a loaded question (laughs) i i i think i think the form uh christianity takes right now in in terms of church I, I don't see that dying as quickly um, as I hope some of the the other things that need to die die. I, I think I think I think it's bio, biologically innate in us to want to gather with other people. Yeah, and I think it's um, innate in us to to want to gather in meaningful ways with other people. Mm-hmm. I think I think we love tribes, right? And as long yes. as we love tribes, uh, there's there's going to be a place for tribes to physically meet. Uh, and obviously, yeah, we do have the technology that allows us to do what we're doing now, which is talk from, you know, 700 miles away. Mm-hmm. But regardless, like it allows us to meet in meaningful ways. So I think that will that will continue. And then I think church specifically, especially uh, if this progressive iteration moves the way that I, I pray it will move. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think the church will remain at least in my lifetime and my kids lifetime for sure. Um, the way we see it now. Uh, but honestly, I, I haven't given that a ton of thought. <laughs> so, you know, I I, uh, I think that's as much as I can speak to that without, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. No, it's a, that was a totally self-serving answer because I'm invested in, in one of these churches and want to, want to steal the best ideas. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, Jonathan, this last question uh, has been um, an interesting one just because the the sheer diversity of the answers. Um, j- just about uh, – I think everyone who we've had on this podcast is in some way rooted in some form of Christianity, either past, present, ongoing, uh, what have you. And obviously um, – for anyone who's been involved with Christianity, especially evangelicalism for any amount of time, uh, there's idea of salvation is paramount. Um, and, 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 you know, you kind of hinted at this earlier, kind of the, what I grew up with, which sounded similar to what you grew up with is, is, you know, salvation was a future, a postmortem thing. There was a lot of blood involved. Thank God it was Jesus's. And, <laughs> and that was kind of a key, a key thing that, you know, uh, helped out in that respect. But, um, you know, but at least for me, I know this is true of Becca as well. My understanding of salvation has evolved; it's grown, and 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 there's been mm-hmm. there's been articulations of that term that I've had to discard, and yet I've uh, I've I've been exposed to kind of beautiful new articulations. And so, for you, with the backdrop of of your experience with the book, with forefronts, with uh, with all of that, just everything that we've talked about tonight, kind of just swirling around in there. What does salvation mean to you today? <laughs> that's a giant. That's a giant question. <laughs> that's that's huge. It's a grand finale. Wow. And the thing is, I feel like it changes day to day. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, listen. I'll, I'll talk about what it's not. Okay. It's not. It's, <laughs> salvation is not substitutionary atonement. It's not that. So it's not what you just said. It's not that we were separate from God in order for God to come back to us. 
you know, the blood of Christ needs to be spilled. <laughs> Luckily, it's not our blood. No, um, that's not salvation. Salvation isn't isn't uh, a sinner's prayer. It's not a baptism. It's not. It's not that either. If I were to get excited about what I think salvation is. I would probably jump to this uh, this Hebrew word that I really need to learn more about, which is uh, Chesed, and um, mm. you know, in my in my elementary understanding of that word, it's this idea that God, this infinite and unimaginable God, and we all know the Tilly quote: "God doesn't exist. God's the ground of all existence." Right, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that God, um, who's above law and time and space, binds God's self to one thing and one thing only, and that God binds God's self to us. Um, as as creation, and so that that's salvation. Like the fact that mm. the mm. fact that we are are so known and so loved. The the fact that God says, "I'm this big, and yet I will always bind myself to you, no matter what." Um, mm. Is salvation? It's it's to always be known. It's to always be a part of this, right? This whatever this mm-hmm. is. And I think, furthermore, the beauty of salvation. Um, you mentioned heaven. I don't know. Is it afterlife? Sure, I'll believe it today. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. salvation is the is what I said earlier. It's the privilege of getting to be a part of bringing the peace that God intends for this place right now mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so God says, not only do I bind myself to you, but I think so much of you that you have gifts to bring a peace that I intend. And what does that peace look like? Mm-hmm. Look at Jesus. That's what the peace looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And that is that is salvation, right? That's that to me is is the good news. It's it's this um it's always having been known and, and forever being known by God, um, to the point that God sees the best in us and wants um us to bring the best to this world. Mm-hmm. Boom, nailed it. That wasn't so hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jonathan. So um, now, um, can you tell us a little bit more about where to find you, your book? Yeah, um, anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much for um, sharing your story, hanging out, (laughs) talking some theology, answering David's big questions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. For joining us on Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, and thank you to my good friend and co-host, David Roberts. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and you'll never miss an episode. We are available on all the major podcasting platforms. And while you're there, if you would leave us a rating and or review, we are always looking for more and more ways to hear from our listeners. You can find the links for today's guests and the show notes located at BeccaEpley.com. We do hope that you will join us for our next episode.